Today, we've got another episode of our PPC Talk series where we talk to PPC specialists to go over their latest top strategies for sellers of any level. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon world. We've got a couple people here again, like like, like we've been doing lately, uh, from kind of opposite ends of the uh, the globe here. Uh, first, we've got Robert. Actually, Robert, you're you're fairly local. Where are you at? Right down the road from you, down in San Diego. So San Diego. Di- what part of San Diego? Encinitas. Encinitas. You're like 10 minutes away from me. I'm in San Marcos here. So oh, there you go. We are almost neighbors. Right? There you go. There you Can't go. And uh, Brent, where are you at? Uh, I'm all the way across the Atlantic Ocean in uh, Montpellier in southern France. All right, Brent. Well, well your, your, your English uh, accent is either perfect or you are not originally from France. <laughs> well, it may shock you to learn I'm from Pennsylvania of all places. So... Uh, not southern, sunny Southern California, unfortunately, but Pennsylvania, uh, the great Amish okay. farm state. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to get into like how in the world you went from there to there. But 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 before we do that, let's, let's go back to Robert really quick. Are you a San Diegan? Are you a native here or I'm, where were you born and raised? I'm, I'm not. I was actually born and raised in Palo Alto, California. So not okay. too far up the road. Um, you know, went to college and lived in Colorado and Boulder, Colorado for six years. Oh, hold then- on. You're, you're skipping way too fast here. Uh <laughs> gotta slow your roll here well like when you when you're growing up there what does a 10 year old kid who grows up in palo alto aspire to be uh you know an inventor maybe even Whoa. you know go to the moon who knows uh, i like i like hey, that that's what 10 year olds should be thinking about. i actually so, love selling stuff on the street i used to take stuff out of my pantry and sell it down to all the bikers that would be driving by on the road so i'd sell them bags of chips and lemonade that i pulled out of my fridge you know starting okay <laughs> and, and then and, and then you went to uh was it university of colorado that's right. That's right. Uh, Buffalo, is it? In Boulder. Yeah, the Buffs. Yep. The Buffs. All right. I'm assuming you didn't major in lemonade selling, but uh, what was your major? Uh, psychology, actually. I started in business and found that business classes, intro level, were just terrible and boring as hell. So definitely moved over to psychology, realized that uh, you know some of the practices were way more interesting. And down the road, I could probably use some of those social psychology classes for my own you know, marketing and aspirations for entrepreneurship. So um, it served me well so far, for sure. And it, it helped me from being extremely bored through yeah. four years of college. Okay. And, and then, and then um, after college, what was your first like full-time employment? I actually randomly got a job out of, from Craigslist. I sold a lady uh, my dresser from Craigslist and uh, she was looking for an intern and I got a job selling sports timing equipment randomly. Uh, huh. And then I, uh, I ended up leveraging my freedom and moved out to San Diego so that I could work remotely and then started my first business, which was a daily deal company called iCoupon back in 2008. Okay, cool, cool. Now, now back to Brent. Uh, growing up in, in uh, Pennsylvania, I mean, w- w- were, did you grow up in an Amish community or were you just saying <laughs> that was near? Nearby, actually, I grew up in the Lehigh Valley, uh, which is sort of close to Allentown. Some of you might know it from, I think, the Billy Joel song. <laughs> uh, okay. Approximately in the Pennsylvania, like, greater region. I'm sorry, the uh, Philadelphia greater region. But in Lancaster, not too far down the road, that is the epicenter of a lot of Amish activity. All the big families are down there. But uh, no, I'm not part of that community. <laughs> 
Okay, I was gonna say if you were, then you, then your life goals at the age of ten might have been different. But what 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 were you? Uh, what did you aspire to be when you quote unquote grew up? Uh, I mean, at that at that age, probably a paleontologist. Good uh, grief! Yeah, so I was really into dinosaurs. Yeah, like uh, like Jurassic uh, Park. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Naturally, that probably is what started it. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, didn't didn't take that path. Although I still enjoy a visit to a. Uh, a museum with dinosaur bones and everything and know some of the science behind it, but I, I wouldn't say that okay. was ever a professional path. <laughs> did, did you go to uh, uh, college after high school? Yeah, I went to Penn State. Um, I have a degree in like uh, basically information science. Nittany, Nittany Lions? That's the very same. Yeah. There we go. All right. Same. Yeah, that's my, my my one of my side hobbies. I try and memorize uh, mascots from colleges. I, I noticed you pulled yeah. that out real quick when Robert said uh, when he was going to school. I was like, wow, Bradley really knows this stuff. <laughs> no, no, I'm just a sports fanatic. What was your major? It was, it, they called it IST, Information Sciences Tech. I'm not sure if they still offer it, but it's basically an IT degree. So I have a okay. background in computer hardware, computer security, and then, uh, you know, like Microsoft Active Directory, like boring IT stuff like that, which has certainly come in handy in this in this kind of like remote work mm-hmm. lifestyle with the team and everything. But uh, yeah, can't say I worked in IT for that many years. So, so you did work in IT upon graduation? Uh, yeah, I worked at my uh, university and then I actually worked at the Apple store for a couple of years doing like uh, like Genius Bar, like fixing computers and stuff like that. I had some other jobs that were um, more like traditional kind of Windows environments, IT, uh, but eventually I ended up in paid advertising doing Google ads. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, now, Robert, how did you first get on the radar of, of you know, Amazon sellers and and you know, we're, this, this is an episode of PPC talk. Uh, we, we do this every, every few weeks. So we, we obviously are going to get all uh, talking about PPC, but uh, I like to chronicle the journey to there because, you know, every single time it's always, you know, from the time you're little, from the time you're in university to your first job, it is all over the place. Bridge that gap a little bit more for me from that remote job you had and then the, the software to, to getting into Amazon PPC. Absolutely. So uh, my, my business partner and I in Etail Rocket, we originally started our first venture, which was a daily deal business called iCoupon. Um, in that, similar to what Groupon operates today, uh, we worked and in, in worked with local brands as well as national product brands in order to uh, do flash sales, essentially, when there was a huge craze at the beginning of that life cycle. And we grew that business up to be across five different countries. Um, and in doing so, simultaneously, we had launched several of our own e-commerce brands um, and developed some partnerships direct through Today Show, Good Morning America, and some national broadcasts operating as kind of a PR rep as well as a sales uh, distributor on both our platform as well as through press and the media. Um, and at that same time, started to dabble in PPC, both through Google, Facebook. Um, and as we developed that brand and started to see that that market was... <laughs> becoming largely saturated with 750 total daily deal sites that popped on the scene. Um, We -hmm. sold out of that business and simultaneously launched five of our own retail brands, um, in which case was our early foray into PPC advertising, starting to do it for our own brands directly. Back in the day, I don't know if uh, you guys remember, you know, the Drupal days, I know it still exists, but we, you know, we coded our own websites on Drupal and we're trying to set up pixels for Google analytics and Google ads, um, back in the day and then hopped over to Volution and now Shopify. Um, in doing that about five years ago, we basically said, Hey, we sell on Amazon, but we don't really sell much. Um, you know, people are having a ton of success. 
why aren't we? Um, and we dove in headfirst about five years ago to launch our own brand successfully on Amazon. And we grew and scaled um, a team of experts now around us in order to grow and scale our brands internally to be million dollar brands um, and have brought on third party brands to help them represent um, both their advertising, but more of a full service, everything from customer service, fulfillment and forecasting, we actually manage 3PL drop shipping and fulfillment for our clients as well. And then also full services when it comes to Amazon advertising to help. So, so you yourself out. actually have your own private we label do. products that you're selling on Amazon too? Uh, and then you're also just managing uh, these things for other people too. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yep. All right. How, how about you, Brent? How did you get from, you know, working in Apple and then now, hey, I'm going to work and manage PPC? Yeah, it's not nearly as entrepreneurial as Robert's path. I, I really enjoy hearing about that, though, Robert. Essentially, uh, yeah, I had that job. Um, and then in 2012, I actually quit. And I uh, I did something I always wanted to do. I rode my bike across the country uh, from East Coast to the West Coast U.S. Um, that sounds like something Forrest Gump <laughs> would do there. It took about four months. It was well worth it. Uh, I did it yeah, with a good grief. friend of mine. And uh yeah, I almost ended up settling on the West Coast, but eventually I was drawn back to the East Coast. Uh, I started working at a B2B marketing agency. That's actually a pretty small company. And I was brought on as like the second hand uh, doing paid advertising there because I knew uh, you know enough IT stuff to figure that out and had decent you know Excel skills, could figure out Google Analytics, things like that. And so I managed a lot of uh, B2B type PPC campaigns on uh, mostly Google, but also Bing and like at the time, like nascent advertising on things like... Um, uh, I guess like Yahoo is still around. <laughs> this is like 2013. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, eventually I ended up uh, 2015 uh, helping a friend who was selling on Amazon. And he was like, hey, you know about paid ads, don't you? I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I'll take a look. Uh, he's like, I got these products, you know, he was selling and I think about $89, uh, $88 uh, for these like packs of, of products. I won't say what in case he's still selling them. Uh, but uh, yeah, I took a look at the ads and uh, I set up some campaigns for him and came back like two days later and I was like, blown away because we were spending literally pennies at that time. This is a not very competitive category. And mind you, this is mid 2015 when Amazon advertising was probably less than a year old. Uh, and uh, we were making sales like crazy with these like clicks or like three, four cents. I was like, all right, there's, there's something to this. Uh, so I immediately started just diving into Facebook groups and trying to get additional clients and thought, all right, this is the direction I want to take this. And it's been pretty much, you know, straight on ever since then, just Amazon PPC, Amazon advertising. Okay, cool. Now, sticking with you for a second, you know, we we just uh, obviously a while back uh, acquired Presses on and and now have kind of integrated uh, in the last few weeks the the kind of Presses on backend into our new PPC tool Atomic, which I'm still you know learning and, and I, but I actually had no experience at all with with Presses on. You know, you know, being one of the bigger players in the space, I, I knew who they were, but I didn't really know you know what they were about. Now, if I'm not mistaken. You ha have been using presses on, you know, for a while, right, Brent? That's correct. Yeah, and in fact, um, I had the uh, fortune to, in 2019, sit down and have lunch with Ben, the presses on uh, CEO, uh, and two of the other co-founders at that time, uh, and the waterfront in San Francisco. And I was there in town last, <laughs> and I'll never forget that because that was one of the best lunches I've ever had from the from just a, a friendly and business perspective. Both it was just great. We have been using presses on since uh, March 2018 uh, when they were. Uh, I would say, you know, still pretty well known and, and definitely one of the stronger tools at that time. Uh, it almost sounds like they were an early mover now, if you look back on it from 2021. But uh, yeah, I'm just absolutely thrilled with the direction that they have taken things and everything that's happened with Helium 10 and Atomic 
I mean, mm-hmm. I have some information from Ben and the Helium 10 team uh, because I talk to them frequently about yeah. what they're developing. I'm not going to say anything more, but I'm really excited about the roadmap. Um, so I'm just positively thrilled with the developments that have happened since. And I, I love to see the direction the software is taking now. It's been so cool to see the trajectory of it over these years. Well, what, what, what's some of the things that you were using in the presses on days? Like, like what, uh, what benefits were you getting? Cause again, like somebody like me, I, I literally never even went into the platform before. So mm-hmm. I'm not exactly, you know, sure of what it can and, or, or did and didn't do. Sure. So I'll put it this way. There's a spectrum of tools for Amazon PPC management. And Robert, I'm also really curious to hear what you have to like say about this and if you use any of them too. But there are some that try to say like uh, AI, big data, we're going to do everything for you with algorithms. And they try to disambiguate it too much and they take away a lot of the agency that you have as the user. And then there are other mm-hmm. tools that are like the nerds nerd tools. And you can use those and you can do like the tiniest little adjustments or tweak keywords in like these ultra complicated ways and you need a master's degree to figure them out. Why I always like Presses On is it's in between those two things. It kind of splits the difference and it gives good components from like AI, machine learning, big bit algorithms, and it takes some of those nerd nerd tools and it makes them in a much nicer package and helps you use them and it combines all that stuff together. I always thought that uh, Presses On is kind of like the Apple of PPC tools. Like they have the features you really need, they're easy to use and it's reliable. <laughs> and for me, mm-hmm. that was like most of the battle because a lot of the PPC tools that I've used over the years in Amazon, which is many, um, yeah. you know, they're rough around the edges. Uh, they don't have things like totally figured out. They're not reliable. Uh, you have some questions about the data they have in them. I never really had those doubts with Presses on. And, you know, we've used it for years to help automating a lot of things like keyword migrations, um, negative bid suggestions, bid algorithms. Uh, you know, to set up target ACOS for clients. Um, those are like the main things I can think of, but it's also got a lot of good analytics tools uh, when it comes to looking at where search terms are duplicated in the account, how impressions are being shared um, and some other nerdier stuff we can dive into. So I imagine that all that stuff is going to be built into Atomic as well, in addition to whatever new stuff is coming up. Okay, cool. Now, what I want to do for the rest of this episode is go back and forth with you guys. You know, we usually have this thing just at the end of the show. We we have we call the TST or thirty second tip. But instead of just saving it for one, we're going to go back and forth with a different kind of TST. More like a, could be thirty seconds or the T could stand for two minutes tips. But I'm going to give you guys different scenarios, and I want you guys to give like your best strategy or what you know how you currently do it. So let's start with Robert. Robert, your first scenario would be like let's say I'm a new seller launching my first product from day one, uh, do you launch PPC and what is your strategy if so? Well, uh, long story short, yes, absolutely. However, you have to rewind and make sure that depending on if it's a new product launch, that that product page is completely optimized. I know a lot of um, you know your most recent videos and lives and different trainings that you guys have done at Helium 10 have talked about a lot of this. Um, and a big portion more than ever now with the competition in the algorithm and for ad spend, it's more apparent than ever that a properly optimized uh, page is so vital for conversion rates and especially for conversion rates when you don't have reviews on that page. So what we find is you really have to put optimizing that product listing first, making sure that it is fully optimized with the title, the bullet points, proper images. And now more than ever, we're seeing a through our A and B testing, what is more important than ever is having a video in your image reel makes a huge difference with conversion rates and giving you that kind of social proof and validity that you know they should be buying from you. Because mm-hmm. the thing that we always find is our our clients don't understand that they they really 
are competing with thousands of other legitimate sellers, even though some brands you work with may think they have the best thing ever. And then launching out of the gate with auto campaigns in order to get impressions, to get the algorithm to recognize as soon as you hit launch that this product is worth looking at. Um, so we come out of the gate pretty hot with regards to auto campaigns, making sure that we come out of the gate with higher bids so that you're not just running auto campaigns that are just basically posting impressions on rest of search um, and really making sure that your product is actually getting seen top of search, making sure that it's getting seen across a myriad of different, um, different ad placements. Um, and something that we're even really pushing now is really targeting hyper-targeted long tail terms specific to that individual niche through manual campaigns and coming out of the gate really aggressive with product display as well. Um, product display is, is now, I mean, even in the last month, the iterations that have come out of Amazon display that's now available to everyone within their seller central portal is giving an opportunity to just expand um, reach and scope with a product launch that we've never seen before really kind of encompassing that full circle. So long story short, 100% come out of the gate. You have to start advertising from day one. All right, cool. And let's go to Brent. All right, same scenario. Um, you know, new seller, first product, day one. Are, are you doing PPC? And if so, what is your uh, general or even specific uh, strategy? Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I'll first echo a lot of what Robert said in terms of retail readiness. So we do for clients what we call a retail readiness check, which is essentially, do we feel comfortable sending paid traffic, spending client money to send, you know, who we hope are certainly qualified and relevant customers to this listing with the idea that it's going to convert. So if it passes that check and it meets those specifications, then we feel like we can proceed. You know, if not, we're going to make some recommendations to them or refer them to a company that can help them, you know, improve the listing or work with their team internally to do that. That's always the first step because otherwise you're just you know throwing money at the wall essentially. So don't recommend that. The second thing I'll say is uh, from our experience with client accounts, some clients will want to launch with no reviews. Uh, I would say that's a majority, uh, but there are a small subset that won't want to have uh, any advertising spend uh, with no reviews on the product listing. I'm actually a fan more of launching without reviews. I think if you have a good enough listing um, that's retail ready, you can do that. That's okay. But also there's this like honeymoon period on Amazon, which I speculate and kind of, uh, you know, don't have any confirmation on, of course, but I think is, you know, 30, 35 days roughly. And in that period, you want to teach Amazon as best as possible, you know, what keywords you're relevant for, what you should be showing up for, what you should be indexed for, what kind of customers are going to be looking at your product. So that's the time to prioritize ad spend and not wait around for just like five reviews or something, which could take a long time depending on, uh, you know, what kind of systems you have in place for that. I'll also say that the expectations need to be set correctly. So we're not spending in the beginning for, uh, you know, super low, hyper-optimized ACoS at like, you know, great returns. The idea is to get the product in front of, uh, in front of as many relevant eyeballs, and, you know, shoppers, potential customers as you can and gather data surrounding that product and then make adjustments to it, of course, right? You're going to be making continual adjustments to it through the life of it, but especially in the beginning. And as we get more ad data and say, okay, we can't get enough uh, exposure for this keyword, or this one's like really expensive, but you know, we need a bid against it anyway. Let's find a bid that works. Um, or this one's actually working. We're getting repeat sales, even with just like a couple reviews. That's a great sign. Let's keep pushing harder there. 
those are all pieces of information that the Amazon ecosystem is feeding back to you. So you should pay close attention to it and, you know, basically work to change and ameliorate the listing based on that information. When it comes to specific tactics for launching, um, the only thing I maybe disagree with Robert on a little bit is we don't use auto campaigns so much anymore in 2021. We kind of reformulated our approach for that uh, at the beginning of this year based on the launches we've been doing uh, late 2020 and just people we talk to in the industry and how, how our understanding of what's working with ad and ad rank really kind of uh, operates. We're, we're much more focused, I would say, on like, um, you know, important keywords at the beginning. So we're going to put a lot of uh, money towards like a select group of terms. Let's just say like seven to 10, uh, maybe in one campaign, maybe split across a couple campaigns, depending on budgetary guidance that we get from the client. Um, and we're focusing on these terms that are not necessarily like hyper competitive, because that's probably not a good idea. But those that are relevant, I, I would say like medium tail, you know, not long tail where they have barely any impressions but somewhere in between those two. So being smart about which terms you target and just driving home on those and gathering data on them and trying to basically start to get rank for them is the objective. And then we move into like phases two and three, uh, which would be going after more broad terms, um, using more open match types. And then, you know, phase three is usually like product display or uh, sorry, sponsored display. Got to stop calling it product display. Uh, but sponsor display and, and then doing ASIN targeting through that, because that's a really good way to get started. I agree with you there hundred percent, Robert. That's like definitely the uh, big topic for 2021 would be, would be sponsor display. Okay. All right. Now you guys feel free to, I mean, disagree. If you guys are both saying the same thing that that's not a great show, you know, it's like, <laughs> don't be, don't be shy to, to have two different viewpoints. Cause you know, as we all know in Amazon, there's, it's also, there's not just one way to, to skin a cat. If, if there is opportunity to just kind of talk to that, I think all those points are valid. And I think one important thing just, you know, so so listeners also, you know, put into perspective, I think an important part of the strategy and layout that we kind of define with our clients too is based on their budgets, right? There's no two one size fits all for a launch campaign that really works. It's kind of dependent upon the client's budget, their total catalog and what we can dedicate towards that new product launch. You're completely right. Those auto campaigns, if you do have some budget constraints, um, you kind of are going a little too broad out of the gate. However, um, now with placement bids within auto campaigns, we find that the auto camp, if you do have a product and, you know, a brand that is willing to really go hard with that launch, a lot of times being able to use placement bids and auto campaigns now gives you different levers to kind of optimize the performance of getting as many eyeballs on that product as possible out of the gate. Um, and what we also find too is, Sometimes it's really hard to get optimal bid costs out of the gate for a new product with no reviews these days. Um, and even in the last six to 12 months with COVID, um, CBC costs across virtually every category we manage have increased by three to four X. So what we've found is actually a lot of times, depending on obviously margin constraints as well as, as launch constraints, is being able to leverage some of the other ad types with placement bids where you can get more exposure, more impressions on that listing at a lower cost sometimes really does help through that honeymoon phase. Um, so I think just, you know, pointing that out, I think everything that Brent is saying is 100% true. I think it's just important to devise a strategy specific based on your budget for sure. All right, quick break from this episode for my BTS Bradley's 30 seconds. Here's my 30 second tip for this episode. We were talking about PPC and I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to talk a little about it really quick, a little bit more details. But guys, Regardless of what level you are, you know, 
Amazon usually defaults your payment method for your PPC campaigns in Seller Central to your disbursements. In other words, you know, you, you get disbursement every two weeks from Amazon. Let's, let's say it's $20,000. Let's say your PPC spend is $2,000. Well, instead of getting $20,000, you'll get $18,000 because they just take away the money from there to pay for your PPC. However, what I always suggest doing is changing that to a credit card that works for you. Um, it could be the Alta credit card by Helium 10. So you can get, well, I think it's like one or 2% cash back. Me personally, I use travel credit cards. So this weekend I'm going to the Maldives again to record episode 250 and it's $11,000 trip. I'm paying zero. All right. I am paying zero. I'm using the Hilton American Express. That one is tied to the PPC account and uh, that's what all my PPC gets charged to. And I got enough points to get a $2,500 a night room, four nights of it. All right. Uh, my flights, I'm completely paying for free. And uh, I got it from uh, Turkish uh, Airlines, and that's because of the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. Uh, I use points, and I can use that for all kinds of different airlines. So, guys, uh, regardless of what level you're on, make sure that your PPC spend is working for you, you know, not just taking it out of your disbursements, but actually charging it to a credit card that can get you either cash back like Alta or like travel points like the Hilton or Chase Sapphire. Now, just keeping it with you there, uh, Robert, another scenario is how do you guys populate your product targeting campaigns, be it, you know, anything that has ASIN target, uh, you know, obviously there's a product targeting, just regular campaign, you know, regular sponsored uh, products campaign where we're targeting ASINs only there's sponsored display, you know, uh, do you do sponsor, you know, do you do uh, product targeting and sponsored brand? What is, what is your product targeting strategy regardless of the campaign type? We do all the above and thanks to helium 10, it makes it really easy. Um, I shouldn't say it makes it really easy, but I can tell you the amount of time saved for our team by having Helium 10 extension makes our lives a million times easier. Um, but now with sponsored display, sponsored brand, sponsored videos, it's allowed us to have and develop a really full funnel strategy that allows us to really target product, product targeting and ASIN targeting through the full lifecycle um, from that buyer experience. And we've really started to use it specific to individual search term strategies and making sure that if there's a certain product we want to rank for or a certain keyword we want to rank for, um, or really just trying to push volume to scale a SKU that is already kind of at the top, um, using product display we found has really started to expedite that process through product targeting. Um, and the amount of impressions you can get quickly through that is kind of, it, you can't find that anywhere else really. Um, so really we're, we're kind of double downing on the product display. Um, that said, we are definitely utilizing, uh, ASIN targeting and product targeting specific, both for brand defense, as well as, um, for competitor targeting. And I think a lot of times the brand defense kind of gets a bad rap. Um, but with competition increasing dramatically, uh, day over day, I think brand defense for a lot of brands, if done right and done effectively, um, is a very, very important and vital strategy where we see oftentimes brands who come to us and onboard, they're losing money constantly in just assuming that people are going to try to find their product. But in reality, their competitors are just stealing sales. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's a really important strategy to define both competitor and branded strategies individually for product targeting. All right. And uh, Brent, same question. Like, are you targeting ASINs from day one, just based on your analysis? Or do you have, uh, you know, are, are you building your product targeting based on what's converting 
I mean, you, you said that you don't do much in auto campaigns, but you know, sometimes the auto campaigns can find you some product targets, but, but talk about your product targeting uh, strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to be clear, I mean, we don't do much with autos when it comes to launch, but they're a necessary part of any account, like in an ongoing fashion. Absolutely. They should be taking up a, you know, a good chunk of spend because they're there for exploratory purposes and not to mention auto campaigns get placements that manual campaigns don't in terms of like on the ad ecosystem. And furthermore, if there's uh, some kind of, um, you know, uh, like lightning deal, uh, they have additional uh, reach that manual campaigns don't. So there's always reasons to be running auto. But when it comes to ASIN targeting, I'll just build off what Robert said, because I find all of everything you said great. So um, with sponsored display in particular, I think we had more and more of a preference for using those for ASIN targeting versus um, sponsored products ASIN targeting. Um, the reason is the placements that are actually on page on the product detail pages uh, the top stripe, the uh, middle, and then the uh, buy box right on the right side underneath. Those are all uh, you know sponsored display placements. Some of those are shared with sponsored products, but just being able to be found in those slots for cross-selling or defensive campaigns, like Robert mentioned, defensive, super key. Uh, when we do account evaluations for prospective clients, we pretty much never see defensive campaigns ever. Uh, but this is something we're pretty much always implementing with our own clients because we find it to be very beneficial for them in protecting their brand, keeping sales inside of their catalog, and also just keeping competitors off. Um, but yeah, just those ad placements are what makes sponsored display such a good bet right now. Uh, we still do run sponsored products with ASIN targeting for sure. And uh, one other trick that I think is perhaps overlooked is doing catalog, or sorry, category targeting, which is available with many ad types now. I think all of them have it, uh, but using the refine feature. So you can say, uh, all these products that have uh, three stars or less, or let's say your product is $28, all competitor products that are $30 and above. Um, so basically, you're just positioning yourself as the option that's slightly cheaper. You know, maybe we're better. Uh, we're a couple dollars less. That's going to catch someone's attention. Or, um, you know, we have a much better star rating than them. Uh, and that's going to go out and give you results that are also ASIN targets. So you'll get that in the, uh, in the data when you uh, examine it later. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, let's go back to uh, Robert now. I want to talk about negative targeting strategy. So everybody has different, uh, you know, different triggers that say, "Yep, I'm going to go ahead and negative match this ASIN. I'm going to negative match this, uh, you know, this phrase, this this exact uh, search term, et cetera, et cetera." So first of all, what uh, is your team's criteria? Like, uh, is do you have it based on clicks without sales? Is it based on you know spend? Is it you know, spend with, with certain level of sales? Is it based on a cost? Like how do you guys determine what eventually gets into your negative uh, targets? Um, I mean, we have a myriad of different rules that we apply based on the product, based on the margins of that product. And, and also based on, um, you know, kind of what phase we are of that product. If we're in kind of a growth phase, a launch phase, or if we're on a scaling phase um, on top of keeping up with the budgets, but um, something that, you know, kind of everyone talks about and it's kind of like the old way of doing advertising or just kind of the go-to of what everyone talks about, which is kind of like the peel stip, stick and block, um, you know, immediately pulling out those converting search terms um, and then moving them on up through broad and phrase and exact match um, and then negating, negativing out those search terms from the original auto campaign or the broad match campaign. What we've actually found is, although... A lot of people say that's good practice. We actually kind of take more of a hybrid approach because we've we've done a lot of testing with that. And we found more times than not when we immediately pull out negatives, 
Um, we see negative effects with getting that product in the new manual campaign to start yielding the same results. So we kind of take more of a delayed approach to where we see and track the results over a period of time after it is transitioned to um, more of the, the manual campaigns in the phrase and exact matches um, before negativing those out. Um, and then sometimes we also are analyzing keywords based on relevance. Um, sometimes when you're looking at negatives and autos, I think it's important to really go through the reports. Um, there's a lot of stuff that you're going to be serving on that should never be there. But then if you really parse through on your top products, some of those reports, you'll notice that there actually are terms where it is highly relevant and it, it may even be on your top 10 keyword list where your results have been terrible, but it's important for you to analyze that and pull it out and give it a shot in a manual campaign and then be able to give it a shot with the correct placements. Because oftentimes what happens is in auto campaigns, you can't really control the placement how you want to. And what you may find is that top keyword may be just rest of search, but when you pull that out and put it in a manual campaign in top of search, it may be converting really well. So I think it's important with negatives to not have a one size fits all. Um, you know, I think there's traditions of looking at you know 15 to 20 clicks with no sales, negative negativing those out. But I think it's also really good practice to not just kind of set it and forget it, and to still analyze what's happening in some of your top campaigns. Okay, excellent. Brent, what other things that, you know, he, he covered a lot there, but is there anything he didn't mm -hmm. cover that you guys uh, are actively doing? I'll just explain our process and then talk about how uh, I, I think about it too. So I, I think the first thing to consider when doing negatives is relevance and also where these search terms are appearing. So naturally, you're going to have more negatives set in automatic and broad match type campaigns, you know, phrase as well. Anything that has a wider swath of results that it's turning up. Uh, now Amazon has, you know, finally, was it last year, given us the power to set negative ASINs too in auto campaigns. It's super important, you know, thing to do, something we've wanted to do for a long time. So assessing those ASINs on an individual basis, uh, looking at the search terms for relevance as they match up to the product, that's always like number one in the rubric of how we assess it. Because if it's, uh, you know, irrelevant, or if it's, uh, you know, just like off base entirely, then yeah, you can set that as a negative. You're not going to harm anything. If it's relevant and it's not doing well, that might lead to a couple things. One of them is inspecting the listing for uh, how is this keyword lining up with this? Like we should be converting for this. Like why is it doing so poorly? Why is the click through rate so bad? Or is this same search term doing well somewhere else in the account? And that's why uh, the impressions are getting pulled off of this one and it's going over there instead because you know splitting impressions around the account is a pretty common issue we see. Uh, in accounts we evaluate and just, you know, our own accounts when they have a lot of products that are quite similar and that tends to happen. Um, the other thing I would say is price of the product. Like uh, Robert said, you can't just say 15 clicks and no sales. We kill it. You know, that's it. If your product is $200 and you've spent, uh, you know, a $1 CPC, which is like pretty normal, uh, 15 times and you don't have any sales, don't, don't set a negative if it's irrelevant. You know, hold on to that a little bit longer. Look at the other leading indicators and you know, figure out what the margins are on that, uh, if you don't already know, of course, and say, how much more can I afford to test this? This is value-based bidding. You know, we can't just set things to, to be set as negatives uh, if the product price is that high. Of course, if it's a $12 product, you have a lot less wiggle room. You have to make decisions quicker, but that's going to influence drastically the sale price, you know, what you do for negatives. Uh, I'll also say one other thing that, that wasn't touched on, but like brand. Um, one thing that we 
often do for clients is make sure to segment out branded search terms into their own campaigns. We want them to have visibility into how much they're spending on brand defense or how much they're spending to just like make sure that people who are searching for their brand are finding them. And oftentimes when we do evaluations or come across like new client accounts or just talk to people, they have uh, campaigns where branded search is like interspersed throughout the rest of the account. And so it's basically like artificially deflating the ACoS, so to speak. And, you know, we'll do an evaluation and be like, hey, you know, 40% of your ad revenue is from branded spend. Like, no wonder your ACoS is 17%. And if we take that out of this equation, uh, yeah, it actually looks pretty different. We're not saying don't spend against brand. We're just saying have a very clear idea of how much you're doing and uh, set negatives elsewhere so it doesn't kind of spill over. So that's one other, you know, negative strategy I think I would employ. Two more things um, I'll touch on. The first one would be don't be afraid of negative phrase match keywords. If you have you know, themes that keep showing up in your account that are repeatedly costing you money and like basically dropping the relevance of your campaigns, don't be afraid to set negative phrase match keywords. Now, these are like really powerful weapons, especially if you set them at the campaign level. So be aware of, what, of how they work and what they can do, but don't be afraid to use them. Sometimes you know, we, don't, we don't see them in an account at all. Um, or, or clients have misconceptions about them. They're scared of them or something. There's, there's nothing to be afraid of. They're there for a reason. They're super powerful. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say, which bounces off one thing Robert said with the, um, the old like uh, stick peel and block, you know, methodology, uh, which is, you know, called keyword isolation or whatever you want to call it. But it's one of these common things that, you know, we know from the Google ads world, which is basically continue to isolate search terms in increasingly um, tighter match types. In general, uh, we follow that methodology, although we found a lot of the same things that Robert mentioned. And one tweak we've made to our system in the past year would be in a lot of auto campaigns, we don't set negatives there because those auto campaigns are exploring a different CPC space than the manual campaigns. Those manual efforts are usually far higher bids. So the autos are catching the ones that are like, you know, the 25, 35, 45 cents, whereas the manual might be an a dollar plus bid or, uh, you know, we do a lot of work in Europe, in Europe so, you know, uh, close to a euro, whatever, whereas the autos are getting like the leftover bits and the cheaper clicks. And uh, it might make sense to be seen at a cheaper click and have that open. So we keep that, we keep that there. Most of the impressions will still go to the higher bid. Um, that's one thing that we've, you know, mostly found. Okay, excellent, excellent. Now, one last question before I open it up for like just some general 30 second tips, but, uh, um, you know, this one be one minute or less. Let's start with Robert. Do you do search term isolation? Yes or no? Why or why not? Absolutely. You have to do search term isolation and it's more vital than ever. Um, in the last year to two years, right? Like a lot of the strategies and I'm sure, you know, both of you have found through your own dealings with Amazon PPC, right? The days of just, you know, doing a search term report and dropping a thousand or a hundred search terms into manual campaigns and testing them that way is just not effective anymore. Yes, there are what we like to call legacy campaigns that have had the success and in the, the algorithm, they still succeed. However, when you're launching new uh, campaigns for manual search types, I think it's more important than ever to isolate individual search terms based on relevance, uh, based on long tail, and then also based on you know being able to control budgets um, specific to conquesting and ranking. Um, we're finding more important than ever in order to get consistency of search terms um, that you really do want to rank for. You have to make sure that your products are displaying in those ad placements and using 
your placement bids effectively. Um, we found that over the course of time, by utilizing placement bids effectively, by isolating those search terms, we've been able to actually cut our ad costs for key search terms that we're trying to rank for by sometimes up to 60% um, from where they originally are, um, while also increasing our ranking for launch um, and even in our growth phases for top search terms and conquesting dramatically. So I would say more than ever, don't be afraid. If, if there's old campaigns that you have that are running and you're just not seeing the same results, understand that things have changed a lot in algorithm and, and also in just the amount of placements that are out there. Um, and what Brent's kind of talking about too is Amazon's continuing to diversify their ad placements and what ad types go where. And with that, I think is, is changing the landscape quite a bit. So it's more important than ever to have an effective um, individual keyword you know, isolation strategy. Anything to add to that, Brent? Or are you pretty much in agreement there? No, I agree with him entirely, but I'll just say one more okay. thing to build on it. So um, you can expect to have a good understanding of what products in your catalog impressions for ads are being shown for. You know, how are you showing up in the in the ad rank? Uh, if you have the same keyword, which is displaying the same search terms, like seven different places in your account, uh, that that's a mess, right? Because you're saying, oh, we're going to have this search. And I know that this product, which is the red variation, which is our top seller, is going to be showing up for that keyword because that's what we want. Well, if it's in seven different places, you don't have any guarantee of that. And actually, one feature that Presses On has had for years is called the search term chart. And that helps you analyze on a day-to-day -day basis where the impressions for that have gone. And that's a tool we use all the time um, to figure out where those are going and then clean it up, essentially. So that's one of the main reasons to still have uh, search term isolation in, in an account, I would say. Okay. And then now it's time for kind of like what our traditional 30 second tip is. Robert, just in, in general, you know, I'm not going to give you a scenario on this one, but like, what do you think that you're doing that's, you know, highly actionable, pretty valuable and fairly unique? Like, hey, I'm not, I use auto campaigns, you know, please don't make that your 30 second <laughs> tip, but, uh, but something, you know, kind of unique uh, strategy that you guys have developed. I know you, you might not want to give your best one out there, but something you, you feel comfortable with sharing with the audience. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think as a whole, you know, without getting into the nitty gritty 30 seconds, make sure you're using all ad types, right? Even if you have success currently with autos and manuals and product targeting, um, you got to get video moving, get sponsored brands video with an isolated strategy for keywords and search terms, um, and really have a full funnel strategy now, now that you have product display. Product display really is the the new age of getting impressions at scale and being able to have it above the fold rather than below and, and requiring those customers to scroll all the way down. So really, my advice is really start utilizing all ad types and start testing. Cool. Brent? Yeah, I, I would say get serious about the creative elements of your different ads. So we have more and more ability to add creative things to sponsored brands. And I think that sponsored display is going to see some more of that in the future as they start to iterate on it and improve upon it. So your creative is what can set you apart in the ad uh, in the ad placements because for years what we've had sponsored products. What is it? It's the headline is your uh, title of your product. The image is your product. Okay, people know what that looks like. Boring, but we've all seen the great search results of uh, custom image creative on sponsored brands, mostly on mobile. Now they're starting to roll it out more in their like web beta. Um, on desktop. And then I think sponsored display is going to get more of that. So focus on the creative and A-B test it to the best of your ability. Um, I don't have this on uh, you know, a date specifically, but I know Amazon is working on the ability to have A-B testing in sponsored brands as a feature that's going to be released uh, at some point. So 
really look forward to that because that's that gives you a true opportunity to say, okay, we have this. In a couple of my accounts, they actually have it already. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, I guess it's here now. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I don't think it's available in Europe over there, though, yeah, like in, in Amazon, France, and Germany. Oh, no, everything but, but here for sure it is. And then UK and then the rest of Europe, yeah. But, uh, well, there you go. So that's something to look forward to. Cool, cool. All right, guys, if people have more questions, want to reach out to you to, to get some more help or see what you guys do, uh, how can they find you on the interwebs? You can find me on etailrocket.com or find me on LinkedIn. Those are the two best places to go. Um, Robert Bonfist on LinkedIn. And Brent? Yeah, you can email me uh, hello at amzpathfinder.com or you can search for me, uh, Brent Zaradnik on uh, LinkedIn. That last name's a bit tough. Uh, maybe I was about to say, good luck it, in spelling that. It'll be in the show notes. That. I'll also be at Prosper this year. It's my first time ever going. Are you guys both going to be there? Yes. And don't forget to come to our party that we have, the Rock Out on the Record, we're calling it, at the MGM on the 13th, guys. So if you guys are listening to this, you haven't heard about that yet, Make sure to ask our customer service. Just go to helium10.com. We'll have some announcements on there, but hopefully both Brent and Robert will be there at the uh, at the party. Uh, there'll be karaoke there, so put some drinks in them and maybe they can they can sing uh, sing some uh, songs. <laughs> Believe it or not, I don't need here. any drinks to do karaoke. I'm, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I do, like I do. But, all right. Sounds good. All right, guys. Well, thank you for coming on here and uh, sharing your insights. I, I love going into these deep dive uh, strategy uh, sessions here. And... Uh, Wish you the best success uh, with the rest of your year. Thanks so much. Thank you, Bradley. Nice talking to you guys.